The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, a Red Dwarf review podcast hosted by myself, Adam Martin, and my regular co-host... Philip Hawkins, that's me. That is him indeed. And today it's that time again, folks. We are joined by a special guest. We are joined by the man who created our intro, if you watch this on YouTube, the video intro. But he also has a channel of his own of over 20,000 subscribers, and he's done all sorts of videos. Introducing... George Shirt. How you doing, George? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking about Red Dwarf. It's not something yeah. I've done. And I've done so much on YouTube and podcasts, and I've never yeah. talked about Red Dwarf. This is really weird, but I'm oh, looking mad. forward to it, so this is good. That's awesome. So just for just for clarification then, because obviously those mm. who are regular listeners will know the basic premise was Phil's been watching for a very long time. This is my first time around, like completely. Yeah. Um, what's your Red Dwarf history experience then? So I, um, you know, it's one of my dad's favourite shows, as was sort of Doctor Who, um, and it's sort of a similar kind of thing to that. Um, I got into Red Dwarf before, um, I think Dave bought the rights to it before series 10, 11, 12, yeah. uh, and The Promised Land. So I sort of watched the original series and got to watch the newer ones um, when they came out on TV uh, live. So around that time, um, yeah, my dad had the, the classic DVD collection where it's all you know, lovely and, and displayed oh, very yes. nicely. Uh, we binged our way through those. And uh, yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. And uh, since then, yeah, I've just been a huge fan of it. Um, got to go to one of the Dimension Jumps a couple of years ago as well, which oh, was really nice. cool. Jeez. And uh, yeah, no, just uh, a big fan of it ever since I started watching it, really. It's just my kind of thing. Yeah, that's mad. So big fan, and yet you've never had chance to speak. Never about really talked about your, it. Yeah, and your many years on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. At one uh, point, Adam, we're going to have to go to Dimension Jump. Oh, we should. We should. I got. <laughs> I got very lucky with my one because it was the. I think it was the anniversary one, um, mm. twenty eighteen or something, and they okay. kept loads of stuff secret. And it was the first time ever that they had like all of the cast there. Like every uh. single cast member, um, like main cast member from all, all, all over the years, and um, yeah, it was it was it was amazing, like a huge surprise. Cause I think Danny John Jules was on Strictly at the time as well, so he'd like driven up from like London for the day to be oh, there, yeah. sign some stuff, and then go back down to do Strictly again. <laughs> um, just mad. chaotic, but very exciting experience. Yeah. Oh, they yeah, Phil, you're right. We're gonna have to go to one of these. <laughs> th- this will be good because you sit somewhere in the middle, then perspective-wise, I guess. Because obviously, yeah, Phil's yeah. watched uh, since the '90s. I'm watching now, and you you said you started watching maybe just over ten years ago. So yeah, God, about it must have been about that. Yeah, I think yeah, about there. I think we just sort of yeah, I just sort of binged through them with my dad, and I loved it. And then you know, hearing mm. I think he knew those talks about a new series being made, so it was like, well, I'll get him into this now, so we can watch that together. <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, yeah. Perfect timing. Well, we won't waste any more time. We'll get into it. So this time, folks, we're on series five. Series five already. Episode one, which is called Hollow Ship. This went out in the February of 1992 originally, so nearly 30 years ago. And the synopsis is Rimmer is abducted by holograms of superior intelligence and taken to a space vessel, which is itself holographic. There, Rimmer has a physical presence and... The people there have very interesting health requirements, although emotional attachment is considered bad manners. And yeah, and we'll get into it as we go. So this is a brand new season. So as always, there's a brand new 
in the credits, you know, sort of the clips of what's going to happen this season. And as we, as we've seen with series three and four, some interesting little bits and pieces. Um, and uh, you in the past, George, with series mm. four, you know, the title of each episode sort of scrolled past the screen in this really garish, horrible. I say that, that's my opinion, a <laughs> really mm. horrible scroll. It's still there, Phil, yeah. but like a bit more subdued this time. It's just along yeah. the bottom. It's, it's on the bottom. Quicker. It's yeah. the 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 text isn't as garish. It's not as chunky. Yeah. It's a bit thinner. Yeah. It's, it's right. a finickety point, but that that's just me. And um, yeah, we got the guys in Starbug, and this opening scene is just a bit of bit of banter flying around, but things are a bit different. You know, Rimmer's got a brand new H on his head. He's also got a, a red outfit. I much prefer the green outfit. I've got to say, what are we thinking? Are we fans of the red outfit or the green outfit? I prefer the green, but I do yes. like the red. Um, oh, do you? Mm. Yeah. I need to be careful what I say about these things because you're, 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 you're sort of watching this for the first time, aren't you, Adam? So I don't want to. I, like, oh, I don't want right, yeah. to list off all my favourite potential <laughs> Rimmer outfits that you may or may not have seen. You know, oh, that's fair. That's fair. No, Phil I has do to miss do that the, sometimes. Yeah. I do miss the hat though a little bit as well because that was just funny. The little, the, the little hat, hat with the little antenna that he had for like yeah. a handful of episodes last series. Yeah, and then they scrapped yeah. it. <laughs> they scrapped it um but yeah it seems like I, I don't know about about you guys but i mean i noted when we got to series three obviously they had a massive injection of their budget you know with the, with the sets and all that sort of stuff you know like the sets mm. were a lot more expansive it was a lot more colorful and i don't know this time it seems like there's been a very small reskin of some things like we said like costumes and sets so maybe it got a little bit of budget boost again um yeah, yeah. I think there's always sort of a vibe like that I get with between Red Dwarf series, but I I, I think there's sort of like, it's it's really weird because it's it is it does sort of change in sort of style from series to series, but it also has like significant eras. But then you can't really tell when they sort of move into when each they other. Start and end. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. Like <laughs> it, it gels together quite well. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And after this, is, after a, this oh, feels on, like a bit of a transitional year because they're starting to use Starbug a lot more. Mm. And I think certainly, I think most of the episodes involve Starbug in some way this year, whereas uh, previously it had been only used a couple of times. Mm. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much for you, Adam, but next year <laughs> Starbug will become very uh, prominent in the series uh, for uh, a particular reason. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's, I've heard and, rumblings about it. I don't know the exact reason, but yeah. I've, I've, I've come across rumblings of that. But yeah. Mm. <laughs> We'll get there when we get there eventually. Um, but after a bit of banter, a um, a hollow ship appears. And I've got to say, I mean, the model on that hollow ship, I think it's the best model I've seen in Red Dwarf so far, to be honest. I don't know what you two think, but I thought it looked fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah. was impressive, um, impressive visuals there. Hmm. No, very impressive. And what was the... Uh, two Oh, but before they before it appears, I love the uh, the two minor drawbacks gag that Crichton does. Why don't we drop the defensive shields? A superlative suggestion, sir, with just two minor flaws. One, we don't have any defensive shields. <laughs> and two, we don't have any defensive shields. <laughs> now, I realize that technically speaking, that's only one flaw, but I thought it was such a big one, it was worth mentioning twice. <laughs> yeah. This, those, those jokes with Crichton, those sort of... They, they're sort of almost like not like not dragged out ones, but the ones where you sort of know what's coming. It's just Robert Llewellyn does a great job with those jokes. Every single time nails it, and it's always funny. It never gets yeah. old. It's even on like rewatches and stuff. It's like yeah, yeah it's, it's always great. You're spot on, and it actually hits a because a recur- almost a recurring theme of this podcast is that 
I often have a problem with jokes that either like feel feel like they're too long or you know are like drawn out. But I absolutely mm. agree with you though. Robert Llewellyn, ninety five percent of the time saves those sort of jokes for me whether it's his expression or the energy he gives he's just so yeah. good yeah he's um he's one of my standouts so far and, and we've said in previous episodes i've loved seeing him out of the makeup you know in the odd episode when he's either playing like a different character when you just or when yeah. Crichton gets turned to a human he's, he's got a great he's got like a jim carrey face yeah robert Llewellyn. to be he's honest he probably a, enjoys that as well really i can't imagine <laughs> the makeup process is quite yeah it's, it's gonna be a cruel process surely uh, We've, we one thing we haven't mentioned is the the soppy movie they're watching at the beginning there as well, which um, mm. nicely ties in later on in the episode as well. I like the way they bring this back round to this at the end of the episode, which we can probably talk about more about then. Um, but just just this scene, we we sort of start when this this soppy movie going on, and Lister is bawling his eyes out at it, and mm. Rimmer is the one that's kind of rolling his eyes, going, "Oh, this is." This is rubbish, soppy. I can't, I can't remember what he actually says, but he says something along the lines of, "It's the worst pile of blubbery." I think worst pile of blubbery schoolgirl muck. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, what, what do you think about their two different reactions to this? Because uh, Lister uh, and and Rim, it's kind of it's almost bef- way before the term sort of came around. But Rimmer is kind of exemplifying this sort of toxic masculinity attitude towards this in a way it kind of like uh you know that's girly rubbish don't we you know why are you crying about it type thing Mm. yeah no i mean i I think like yeah in hindsight it works because lister has always sort of been that character who i guess is meant to represent even though it's a comedy but like is meant to represent like the everyman you know like the everyday person who who has hobbies and interests has flaws and also it, it can express his feelings like that. Like I don't you know, he doesn't really care that he is, he's just reacting to it. So yeah, I think I think you're right about that whole that whole analogy. I think it's it's an interesting one. I I like that um I think just on a note of the whole um film thing, and I know again we'll talk more about that um towards the end, especially how that ties into the um story. But I like to go on a bit of a whim already and go, this really isn't one of my favourite episodes. Like mm-hmm. by no. far. Oh, and wow. I think personally the i don't know what it is but um i think just there's certain elements and certain scenes in this that just don't do anything for me and that opening was one of them where i'm just sort of like okay it's it's good but it's not quite like packing the punches that like good red dwarf can do and this this episode has some great scenes in it and i know we'll talk about said great scenes when we get to them because you know there's some really good ones in here but it also is let down i feel by some quite like you know, not not the funniest of like jokes or moments and stuff that does drag out, but not in a satisfying way like other jokes have done in the past, where it just sort of it just kind of lingers and you just sort of wait to see what relevance this has. It's more of a story one this than um, yeah. than a standard Red Dwarf episode, where it kind of relies on this um, you know having this film thing at the beginning and then having that payoff, that being the big joke, which really does work, but it does sacrifice a lot of the sort of normal sort of telling of Red Dwarf episodes, I find, personally. But, I mean, that's just how I interpret this one. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, for sure. That's yeah. fair enough. I, I quite liked... I I think when I first saw the scene, I thought, oh, okay, it's kind of just giving us a this is like an everyday life on the ship type thing. This is what their day-to-day is like before we get into the action. So I didn't think it really was that consequential until, obviously, at the end where it, where it kind of loops back around to the themes mm. of it and I kind of saw the point of it and... Given the end scene, 
I think I th- I appreciated it a bit more then. I think. Yeah. No. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Longer payoff. Um, but when the hollow ship appears, we have someone who boards Starbug via teleport, who's actually played by Don Warrington. I was like, "Hello, where did you pop up?" I mean, I love Don Warrington. I mean, uh, for anyone listening who's a Doctor Who fan, you might know him as the President in the Parallel World in mm-hmm. Rise of the Cybermen. Um, for Big Finish listeners, he played Rassilon at one point, and he's great at that. He's—I I don't know about you guys—I think he's a great actor. Yeah. I love Don Warrington. So, yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a great great actor, and he's brilliant in this. He's just got that kind of like smug arrogance uh, that he plays really well. And I've seen him play that kind of that kind of attitude in other roles as well. He just does it so well, uh, and and this kind of like elitism that the whole mm. Hollowship crew is is apparently has and uh, he just exemplifies that perfectly yeah yeah it's a great scene it's one of the best scenes of the episode i think again the the back and forth between him and lister is so like enjoyable and one of my favorite lister scenes i think of the whole show um i i I mean it's it's stand out there's lots of really good ones and but that particular scene for me is just it's so funny and it's so well written um and the sort of back and forth it's 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 great absolutely and as like you say they, they make it they do make it fresh and interesting so mm. i feel those sort of jokes you know where they're going essentially going back and forth mm. i think we've even had some on the show before where i've thought they've either gone on too long because they don't feel like they're being refreshed enough or we're dragging mm. it out but the interaction between the two of them like you said george just really kept it going and it was it was a really nice scene yeah and Eventually, we go to the hollow ship, mm. which is all, uh, uh, you know, white walls, very clean, very clinical, uh, filled with holograms. And Rimmer has the revelation that he can now touch things, feel things, because he has a physical presence. As this mm. is a hollow ship, all holograms have that physical presence, which is something we would, I guess we talk about it later, but we can mention it now. Like, Rimmer's wanted that, I think, for a long time. You know, it, it's mentioned here and there in previous episodes, maybe like a throwaway line of, Oh, how I wish I could touch or do this or do that. Mm. Um, but this, I guess, is the episode so far anyway that has really given Rimmer the chance to develop that. Like you said, Joe, this doesn't yeah. feel like a typical Red Dwarf episode in the sense that there are many moments I found anyway, I don't, I don't know what you two think, that are played more for the drama than the comedy sometimes. Yeah, I, I think it's, on my end, I think it's quite a weak um, series opener. Mm-hmm. Um to throw in like much more of a, a rimmer focused episode which is obviously totally fine but i think like if you really look at the episode i mean it, it is got a decent story in it but then i look at it and go like was cat even given like more than three lines yeah. in this <laughs> well, was that, like that, what that like is... what did you know like there's so many things where i'm just like there's so many like jokes that could have been done or like there's so many ideas that could have been played around with but bar a few like one-liners there's like it's very Rimmer focused, which is fine. Yeah. But even the Rimmer focused stuff, it's not as like snappy, snappy, snappy. It's just kind of like a story, which is fine. Yeah. Because obviously the payoff at the end of the episode, relating back to that sort of cheesy kind of old fashioned love story film, that is mm. a really good payoff and that is really funny. But it, again, it goes back to that thing that I was saying before about I feel that this episode, in a sort of weird way compared to other Red Dwarf episodes, kind of sacrifices the kind of um, snappy frequent kind of humor for a a longer story to have a sort of bigger payoff of a joke at the end 
Yeah. I'm not you, sure whether it's worth it or not. That's that's You I mentioned think. that the cat hardly having anything to do yeah. or say in this episode. And that that is pretty much how we spent the first two series of this review. Um yeah. mentioning that every episode. Because I think until series three, Cat was kind of an extra, basically, that had the mm. occasional line. And it, yeah, you're right, it kind of feels a bit like they they went back to that here, I think. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And once he's on the ship though you know he's talking to all these different holograms about what life's like there and he's enthralled to know in what is one of the most recurring themes is that they they have to have sex twice daily it's a health requirement mm. you know you got to do it i like but, it um, when um when she says oh what do you do when you want to have sex uh and he he's like go for a run uh, watch gardening <laughs> videos typical rimmer stuff and um uh, but of course, no emotional connection. Mm. That's bad. It's got to be. It's got to be meaningless. I mean, what did you two think of this whole? Again, it, obviously, this is one of the elements played for comedy. Did you feel it? It worked that because I think sex is a comedy topic. You know, it can so easily be done for like the crass sense where it's not that funny. You're just going for like the shock value. But uh, yeah. how did you feel it weaved it in to this one? I think. I think kind kind of well. I, I think um, when it comes to the topic of sex in Red Dwarf, specifically with Rimmer. It's always a joke at the expense of his virginity and lack of experience, which is always funny. I feel like out of those, though, again, I think this is one of the weaker examples of that. It still works. It's still funny. Um, seeing yeah. Rimmer be like, you know, twice a day, that's more than some people have in their lifetimes. That's <laughs> that's just, it's just so naturally like him. And it's, it is funny, but I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting idea, but again, like lacked that sort of snappy vibe. That, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that a lot in this. Um, <laughs> podcast episode because I think that's just this episode generally for me is it's like it's very different and very standout yeah. because it's different for me especially after like watching all of it multiple times it does stick out to me it always sticks out not for a good or bad yeah. reason just because it's different you know yeah no, that's yeah what about you, it's Phil? a bit mixed uh there are some elements of it like like the fact that it's mandated that you have sex twice a day and the 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 thing that really like is a little bit oh okay is that it's unpolite to refuse sex and is yeah. that i was like oh okay <laughs> that's a bit all right then <laughs> all but right, there's yeah. also some really that is used for some amusing comedy you again like you said george usually at rimmer's expense i like yeah. the line oh, where yeah. they're just him and uh, i've forgotten the up uh, is it yavana um the hologram uh, that he yeah, kind Nirvana, of has Nirvana, the thing with, yeah, like thing with. um they they've just had sex and i think she refers to it being very different to to her usual experience you make love like a japanese meal small portions but so many courses <laughs> yeah i mean it cuts quite dramatic because all of a sudden they're in the lift and then we cut to afterwards it's like okay rimmer you know mm. rimmer rimmer has has had sex now in the show it's canon it's canon folks it's not just your von mcgruger anymore it's not just McGruger anymore. That oh, I keep, I forget about McGruger sometimes. I wonder if we'll see her again. No spoilers, please, lads. Um, <laughs> um, so Rimmer obviously is thrilled about this. You know, he's got a physical presence. He has sex twice a day. This is like what he's dreamed about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to stay, but to stay, he has to pass an intelligence test. And he's terrified because all the others have such a high IQ. He's terrified that he's going to fail. Mm. So in typical Rimmer fashion... He wants to cheat and gets Crichton to do a mind-patching operation on him. And I've just got to say, that scene where like they're in the lab or, like, you know, when he's on the table about to do the surgery, um, I know it's mainly about warning him of, like, the, the risks and stuff, but 
I don't know about you two, I felt that scene went on a little too long. I felt like they got the, the actual important info out of the way about, oh, but sir, it won't work because, you know, of this, this, mm. and this. And he's like, right, yeah, do it. And then they just keep talking for a little bit. And I'm like, it didn't really add, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I would have rather they just cracked on with it a little I bit. That's a general theme with this episode, though. I think there's a lot of bits like that where it's like, I feel like they're just doing this because it's they haven't got a joke to put elsewhere at the moment. So they're just going to use this. And then they just <laughs> didn't put anything else in after. So they just sort of left it. Um, which is fine. I think it works, but again, as you say, I think it, it does linger a bit longer than, you know, would be ideal. Again, with Red Dwarf, it sets a precedent to be, again, quite snappy, and ha every scene has a purpose to be there. Every yeah. scene has, like, a significant like, few jokes in it, sometimes almost every line. So when you have an episode like this, which is, has scenes that kind of just linger and are, again, like, more informational and more exposition than um, jokes... Um, yeah, it's 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 different. Yeah, no, for sure. What about you, Phil? Yeah, it's yeah, it's um, yeah. I don't think I don't remember thinking that it went on too long. Um, mm. But I, yeah, maybe it could have been trimmed a bit. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fair. I do just like the fact that they are like again bringing in from a plot element the the fact that they've got all of these discs of these personalities of the deceased crew members. Um, I can't remember how long that carries on being used as a plot device because, you know, occasionally we'll get, we've had it in the past where the, obviously Lister has been looking for Kachansky's disc or whatever. And, and, mm. and it's just nice that they, uh, they, they do remember that occasionally they've got these personalities of all the crew on mm. file somewhere and they actually make use of them both here and also in the uh, scene where they're interviewing for Rimmer's replacement. Mm. which is quite yes. nice. Yeah. Although there's no, some, there's various things in that that like again, you you can't take Red Dwarf as we always say, you, you can't expect Red Dwarf to keep its continuity consistent because mm. it just doesn't it just doesn't care and that's fine. But yeah. there were a couple of things about that interviewing scene which I loved by the way. I did really love that interviewing scene, especially the, the way the woman reacts and goes, "Yeah, I'm not I don't really want to join your crew. Thanks. This doesn't yeah. sound fun at all. Um, but the, the, A, why is she wearing the same uniform as Rimmer? This. I was like, I was like, where's she got that from? Yeah. Why is she wearing that, it? Yeah, it's we, very odd. We never saw that be the standard issue uniform on the ship or anything. Yeah. But also at that point, Rimmer is comes back into the room. So at that point, Holly is supporting two holograms. <laughs> which apparently was, we watched it. Yeah, yeah. Which apparently was impossible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One of those red dwarfisms. I think, like you say, you just go, ah, oh, just, just, just forget. Yeah. It. It's like we. Yeah. They, I think yeah. with this episode as well, though, there's like a few things like that because I questioned, like, why was Rimmer even on the hollow ship in the first place if he wasn't allowed to stay there? Yeah, like there was no. He just there was never a reason. Like he just sort of went there, had sex, and then was like, oh no, you can't <laughs> stay here. It's like, but why is he there in the first? Yeah, why place? did they bring him over? Yeah. Oh man, it's a bit odd. <laughs> Um, it's a, it, Red Dwarf thankfully on those shows where in our heads we have to go oh we'll just let it slide it's yeah I mean there's fine, there's, fine. <laughs> there's a there, oh, there's a lot of moments like that <laughs> oh, <laughs> we've already yeah. counted so many of them in the four seasons we've looked at so far um, but the the mind patching surgery seems to work and mm. uh, Rimmer is now super intelligent I've got Chris Barry acting intelligent is oh, yeah. <laughs> hilarious like his expressions the way he, he changes his voice his inflections I, I thought he was uh, he was great and when he's doing the test as well you know with the the two keyboards and all that sort of stuff i just thought he was great 
I, I think whenever Chris Barry gets to do something that isn't just Rimmer, I think he has a whale of a time with it, and it's always a joy to watch. Whenever it's either it be impressions of the other crewmates or just random impressions that he's pulling out of his arsenal, like that's just <laughs> I you got to respect it. It's always a lot of fun. Yeah, he is yeah. such a great actor for pulling completely different types of characters out with his voice specifically, but even his just mannerisms and some stuff. We recently watched Dimension Jump, which is the first appearance of Ace Rimmer, and <laughs> it was just so so interesting seeing him play this suave, so you know, uh, popular and confident guy that you're not used to seeing him play because usually he ends up playing, you know, even in other stuff as well, like British Empire and stuff, he ends mm-hmm. up playing the same type of characters. So it's, get, mm-hmm. it's good to show that he can play all these sort of different characters. He's a great impressionist as well when he does, like, Absolutely. does the other members of the crew on, on occasion as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but sadly, this, uh, this intelligent rendition doesn't last for long because partway through the test... Uh, it crashes out on him and Rimmer is back to normal, which is something Crichton did warn him about. Um, but he doesn't even go back and attempt it, does it? He just gives up there and then. He's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go hand myself in or whatever." Um, and we get this scene in the lift with Nirvana, and um, one of the earlier jokes—I can't remember the exact wording. I think she's saying, uh, "What are you doing now?" And he basically makes a um, "I'm going to go kill myself" joke. Um, and I know, like, just, uh, I think I mentioned this with you before, Philip, in the one or two times jokes like that have come up. For me personally, I don't really take to those sort of jokes, even in, I know it's, you know, for comedy and it's not played for serious or whatever, but I don't really take to those sort of jokes. But um, uh, what did you guys think? Just like, because uh, everyone's different in that sense, I guess, you know? Yeah, I think I think the, the intended effect was kind of achieved, but yeah, I get what you mean. Mm. Uh, I think as well, like, Especially nowadays, you don't see too many jokes like that knocking around on TV no. frequently. So it is quite, and I get that with a lot with this sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's, you know, it 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 did the trick. Um, you know, it wasn't mm. my least favorite joke of the episode, but you know, again, no. far from my like <laughs> yeah. personal favorite either. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I I kind of I think I've said before that I'm not completely against it as a topic being used for humor. I think it has been done well. Um, it, in uh, sometimes it verges. A, a bit more towards the line or sometimes slightly over the line but sometimes it's okay i mean like there was the joke about the samaritans one episode um him joining the samaritans and uh the guy that had only rung up accidentally for the cricket stores scores also um which i think was that one of the ones you had a, a problem with i think i think it yeah was, whereas yeah. that and i didn't mind of... that one so much i thought it, yeah. the, it kind of worked in the in the moment and I don't, I don't know, this one, this one, I don't really have any strong feelings of either way, I don't think. It was kind of like, it kind of went over, not went over my head in terms of I didn't, didn't get the joke, but just kind of like, I didn't really clock it that much. No, for sure, for sure. Um, I did like that scene in the lift, though, like the rest of it, I don't know about you two, like, it, it, obviously there was some laughs in there, but it was also, again, this idea of playing more for the like you said, George, like the story idea of it, rather than it just being a scene with jokes with no like context or plot pushing or whatever. So, did you guys like that focus, or did you, are we like, nah, this doesn't this doesn't work or whatever? Yeah, again, it didn't really work for me. I think it's it do, what it tries to do from the very beginning is it tries to do do the story, which is exactly like the one the film that they're watching at the beginning, and the whole the big joke mm-hmm. is that it sets up Rimmer to do exactly what you've seen in the film, and then you know it has that moment which to me is a, a great payoff for a very well done joke 
seeing yeah. Rimmer deliver that line and then just stand there and kind of like wince is like perfect. It's yeah. so funny. And but that being said, I think the actual what you what you lose from a normal Red Dwarf episode to tell that sort of story, I feel it's too much. Mm-hmm. In twenty five minutes, half an hour of an episode, um, you kind of if you're sacrificing that much for the story for one joke payoff, I feel like it's a little mm. bit it's a little bit much. I would have just rather have different jokes in there throughout. I feel like, for example, like jokes like the whole sex twice a day thing was just sort of thrown in mm. there so they could have it. When you look at like the yeah, actual episode, yeah. it's probably one of the weaker ones in terms of writing, like like by far for me. Um, again, maybe I've just got a grudge against this episode, but I think when I look at it, and especially the way that <laughs> like I do love that joke, yeah. don't get me wrong, I think it is great because it has so much build up and a great payoff. Mm. Um, yeah, but I just think they sacrificed a little bit too much, and it feels like the entire plot has to revolve around that instead of having good joke ideas that just work well it's like sort of yeah. can we somehow get a joke out of this the the lister and um the guy from the holoship scene um on starbug that's mm. probably my favorite mm. scene in the episode because it feels like proper red dwarf where it's sort of just it is snappy it's got it's got a point it sort of feels like it was yeah. written separately and then put in opposed to trying to work around the story that they're trying to do for this one joke um, so I do like this episode, but I feel that that again with that payoff, it's worth it. But I wish we'd gotten you know something slightly different, maybe a few more snappier jokes. But yeah, that's just me. No, absolutely. I mean, in regards to because after that list scene, we get the whole thing of you know Rimmer Rimmer is leaving the Red Dwarf crew, and I actually quite mm. like that moment. You know where he where he sort of speaks to all of them, saying he's go, you know saying he's going and how they may not have been his favorite people, but he, he just you know he thanks them for being there. Essentially, that line um, though, have we? I, I don't know if it's just deja vu, but I, I was could have sworn he said the line because he says the line that over the years. I have come to regard you as people I met. Uh, have <laughs> yeah. we not heard? Has he not said that before, or am I just? I mean, he, remembering, he might have done remembering um, watching this episode before, like years ago. It, I can't remember because that when he, when he said that, I was like, "This sounds very familiar." Like, I, re- I, it, and it feels like recently. I think it's just uh, this episode. I don't think it's uh, used again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might be my memory playing tricks on me. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna get my anorak on for a second, it was used. (laughs) It was used in the uh, the universe challenge thing they did for the Red Dwarf anniversary, and it was one of the questions in that Uh, that they made a big point of. There you go. But that's the only other thing I can think of. It's a great line, though. It's a great line. It's so. It is a good line. Very good line. But one thing I want to like highlight here as well is um, Lister's little line that they threw in just before Rimmer like goes away, where he just says like, "See you later, Smagger." Like, there's a little bit of like. You know, there's a little bit of, like, friendship there. And I, yeah, I think this, that shows yeah. development. Whenever we get a moment like that between Lister and Rimmer, you really feel like it's like, oh, you know, they're actually, they are actually friends deep down, but they'll never admit it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's that begrudging friendship, isn't it? And I yeah. think over the past four series, we've we've seen moments of that as well, mm. whether they've been on, like, uh, in the early seasons, what we call, like, the space deck outside. They had the little yeah, heart-to-hearts yeah. and when they need to but yeah no you're right I, I that was it was just a nice and it obviously it's a simple line he's just saying see you later but the way craig charles performs it and the yeah. way it's done yeah it's, you can, it's handled you can really tell well there's a little bit of like sadness there that he's going like he doesn't yeah. want to ever he would never admit it he wouldn't be seen like ever admitting any sort of admiration or respect or love for yeah. him but you kind of feel there's a little bit there where he's like a little bit disappointed that he's leaving 
so abruptly. Absolutely. You know, which I quite like. Yeah. And dear listener, if you thought Rimmel was actually going, you'd be incorrect <laughs> because he's on the ship for about two minutes and then he's like, ah, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to stay on the ship. And I know, like we've said, obviously the the last line and the whole that end scene is just parodying the movie which, as you said, George Rimmer does react to. And it is a great a reaction. Great, He's like, oh, my scene. God, I can't believe I've just said that. Um, but I, I don't know, like you said, like the fact it's this one joke that the whole thing is like coming full circle to, it's like they make this huge emphasis of, you know, like Rimmer basically has everything he wants on this ship. He's got a physical form. It's all orderly. He can mm. have sex multiple times a day. So it just see, you know, outside, take away the fact, we, you know, we're repeating the end of the film for the final scene. Mm. That's why he decides to leave. It just feels like a very, I don't know, like, I guess a bit of a hollow ending in that respect. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Not for, well, I don't see it that way. I quite like mm. it. Um, I mean, well, I, I, I can't remember if we've actually mentioned since I'm sure everybody listening has seen the episode. But mm. the reason why he throws he finds out that his competition who he hadn't seen up until this point the person that's going to be deleted yeah if he takes their place is the woman that he has gotten involved with and she mm. deliberately threw the competition so that he would win and mm-hmm. uh and that's and knowing it's because she's going to be deleted effectively executed that's why he then leaves and goes no i won't take i'm going to resign she can have her job back Mm. And uh, I, I quite like that. It does show some, you know, a little bit of growth in his character, uh, and it and it ties in nicely to the beginning. I quite like uh, the way thematically they set it up at the beginning without you knowing that this is the theme of the episode. Mm. And it's only towards mm. the end of the episode that you kind of see what they were doing and go, ah, oh, okay, they're playing on that themes. And yeah, at the end, he has the like final gag of going oh i can't believe i just said that which is a nice little like rimmer twist to it at the end there because mm. if they just left it, it you kind of feel like there's still the old rimmer there because he's done that line uh mm, but yeah. but but that growth is kind of still there he did make the sacrifice for someone else which is something rimmer very rarely does mm. yeah no it is good character development i'll give you that i don't know what it was i just think something about i know it was like all tying in it did make me groan a little bit, which I know is probably the intention. But yeah, I don't know. Something, it just didn't fully seal it for me. But um, what about you, George? Did it fully do it for I you, it. that final? I, I like the line. Yeah. I think it's a good line. I think it's a good line. And I think, again, it's not like trying to be subtle or clever. Like, the show knows that. It plays like the oldie time, kind of old-fashioned romance music in the background it of that does. scene anyway. And, and yet the I think end the way... come up in a cursive, like... Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's yeah, just brilliant. Card, yeah. And, I think with the way they shoot that as well, um, a lingering sort of close-up on Chris Barry doing that line, and there's like not cutting away, just having him sort of like pause, look away, and then go, oh, you see, so you can see him slowly yeah. realizing, <laughs> and I think that's so yeah. like it is a very satisfying payoff for that joke. My problem is I think it sure. it, it put too much into that, and when Red Dwarf tries to go mm. too heavy with referencing something or straying away from the general formula it can either really work for a nice one-off or it can sort of just be fine and a little bit forgettable and i feel like this falls a bit more into the fine and a little bit forgettable camp to be honest that's valid that's valid and uh well the only last thing i had was to say 
with the end credits, uh, it's a, a, a big thing, George. I'm big into me, me fonts and me end credits. Mm. Uh, it's a bit better than Series 4, Phil. That awkward purple line's gone. The blue fits a little bit better. Still don't like the font they use. Prefer the Series 1 to 3 font. Um, I forgot to ask Where's the panning you? shot of Red Dwarf? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just a black space background. You don't get that lovely panning shot of the ship in the end credits. So that, yeah, disappointing. I forgot to ask you Very about the opening credits. They've introduced, this is the series and where they introduced the bars at the top and the bottom, the red bars. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know why they did that. <laughs> I mean, I know it's in 4 by 3 but why, why constrict your picture even more with essentially nothing? Like, they're ju- as you say, they are just red bars. They don't add, I think, anyway, they don't add anything. If they're trying to make it more cinematic you would have filmed it in you know 69 or whatever but it's, yeah yeah, yeah. no it looks ass i don't know why they did that <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why they did that yeah. it looks you so said. like i don't know it's just that my general like, in, impression in by three as well from everyone i've spoken like, to about like ever or just seen comments on openings of red dwarf is that this is univ this opening with the red bars <laughs> is universally hated so I was interested to see if you well, would uh, you would come to the same conclusion without me saying anything. But it seems we uh, maintain the well, universal hatred of the red yeah. bars. Yeah. By by that standard, I hope then the red bars exist for just this one series. But we'll see. No spoilers. We'll see if we'll see if they I carry just, on. I have to learn to live I with them. I don't know what they're trying to achieve with it. Is it, is it yeah. red because red dwarf? Is it like? <laughs> but it's not like an it's not like an actual ship exterior. It's just like a sort of shit gradient. Like, I don't really yeah, know. It's, <laughs> it's just a bit. Yeah, and it's and you just think even if you imagine watch obviously because we're watching it on I'm assuming all white you know wide screen mm, screens mm. anyway so we, we've got a lot of black at the sides but in my head I was like I'm trying to imagine watching this on a four three TV where the screen is like filled with this uh, and it still look it's awful still because then like fifty percent yeah. of your screen is just these as you say vaguely red. Well, bar, incidentally, yeah, I watch awful. tend to watch it on because I watch it on BritBox. I tend to watch it on my phone, um, and. Mm. I don't know if I can't remember if Netflix used to do this when we used to watch on Netflix, but it it let a, you know it stretched it so basically it, it yeah. turned it into a sixteen by nine format. And I don't know which bits of the if it, if I was missing bits of the shot because of that or what. But I, I think I might have to try watching it on a TV and seeing if it's any okay. different. Actually, George, how, how did you watch it? What what format were you mm. watching? It on? Uh, DVD on a DVD, of, yeah, on a standard um, screen. So, so I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm wondering if it's a brit box thing or if it's a formatting for the phone thing that if i watched on telly it would be different uh, or if it's done like what disney plus initially did with the simpsons and literally cut off bits of the frame i think it's probably so daft it's absolutely probably daft unless yeah. brit box has got the blu-ray versions i don't know if they're widescreen though I know my dad's mm. going to have to well, check, but... I have the Blu-ray versions, and they aren't widescreen. Okay, well, that answers <laughs> still, really quickly. Yeah, it's it's still presented... Well, from what I remember mm. when I watched it, all it is still in the 4.3, which, I, you know, I prefer it in the 4.3, in its original format anyway, but like we said, it just begs the question why they did it to begin <coughs> with. Uh, but that is Hollowship, in a nutshell, folks, uh, the opener of Series 5. So, George, as we said, we do regular segments. First is favourite character from this episode this could be one of the mains it could be someone who just had one line that really made you laugh so um who is your favorite character from hollership i i scott it's gotta be rimmer isn't it rimmer's great in this yeah. I, I mean chris barry does a fantastic performance again he gets to do all his all his bits and bites he gets to pull his sort of cringeworthy sort of face where he hates what he's doing or something he gets to just be 
the most rimmer rimmer you could imagine and then he also gets to pull out his impressions arsenal i mean he absolutely stole the show in this and to be honest if we're looking at especially the main crew there's not too much else to go from the other characters so yeah they don't really yeah i guess rimmer did a great job (laughs) no sad choice man what about you phil i'm gonna go because we always say it doesn't have to be somebody that did a lot in the episode it can be just somebody that you just really liked one particular line from or you know just something they did or you maybe you connect on an emotional level to the to them any particular reason at all is fine for for a favorite character so i'm going it was quite a small role, but the hologram that beams over and starts reporting on them back on on his little walkie-talkie back to the ship. Again, I can't remember the actor's mm. name. You said it earlier. Oh, Don Warrington. That's it, Don Warrington. Mm. Uh, Don Warrington's character. Just the it just it, it was uh, the best scene of the episode, as George said, I think. And uh, he he him and Lister together made that scene. It was just hilarious, and his smug sort of the way he dismisses them, you know doesn't even acknowledge their existence really other than as objects Mm. to report on it just played so well i loved it crew three one series four thousand mechanoid almost burnt out give it maybe three years nothing of salvageable value ah phyllis sapiens bred from the domestic house cat and about half as smart uh no value in future study of this species What have we here? A human being, or a very close approximation. (laughs) Chronological age, mid-twenties. Physical age, 47. (laughs) Grossly overweight, unnecessarily ugly. Otherwise would recommend it for the museum. Apart from that, of no value or interest. Great. Good choices. Good choices. Uh, Mine, well, it was a contender between both of yours, Rimmer and Don Warrington, and... As much as I love him, I love you, Don Warrington, but I'm going to give it to Rimmer. Um, like you said, George, I mean, yeah, this is really his episode. Mm. Chris Barry's acting, um, the way it's set up, the way he handles both the ep- the elements when they're trying to focus more on the drama than the comedy and vice versa as well. He just does it really well. I guess he shows, with all the story's flaws, I guess he shows a lot of, you could say, range in this one, maybe, mm. for, for the character of Rimmer anyway, so... Yeah, I'm with you, George. It's got to be Rimmer. But then what about your funniest moment of the episode? Ooh. Um, I mean, it's got to be that scene, hasn't it? It's got to be the scene with um, uh, Lister and uh, the sort of little cigarette packet doing the whole... Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's it's a great scene. Um, Lister's a red dwarf. I, it, it's one of my favourite scenes from the show, generally. So mm. uh, absolutely, for this episode, it's my favourite scene. Funniest... Um, yeah, the the writing, the way it's done, the it, it lingers for the right amount of time. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just funny, and it's just solid red dwarf. Yeah. Awesome. I ha- awesome. Yeah, choice. definitely have to completely agree. Specifically, that moment in that scene where Lister goes Lister to red dwarf. <laughs> we have in our midst a complete smokehead <laughs> when he's mimicking <laughs> the other guy back, um, and then he like takes. He's like squaring up at one point to him and he's like we've got a hollow whip and we're gonna like and he like takes throws off his jacket and eats his cigarette which apparently was not intended like according to the imdb trivia section anyway um craig charles accidentally ate the cigarette like he hadn't intended to do that he hadn't been told to do it just all that happened and in one of the outtakes he's like there's one of him just spitting that out and then going why did i do that for but it was so good, it worked so well that they just kept it in. And just that whole, that whole bit is brilliant. Listed to Red Dwarf. We have an midst a complete smeg pot. <laughs> Brains in the anal region. 
Chin absent, presumed missing. <laughs> Genitalia, small and inoffensive. <laughs> of no value or interest. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to break tradition and not go with that scene. Uh, my funniest moment is actually just one line, and it's a line we've mentioned. It's got to be the whole, uh, you make love like a Japanese meal. Um, I don't know what it was. It just really <laughs> sent me. Because um, obviously it's well written, it, and when you, if you know Japanese food, it is <laughs> it just works. And I don't know, it just... Oh, I've said this before on the show. There are lines that might like have no consequence on like the overall story or tie into it. But for whatever reason, just really send me. Like uh, we had one a few weeks ago where Jimbo Phillip was the Paul Robeson gag. Oh yeah, like you sound like Paul Robeson on dope. And to anyone who doesn't know who Paul Robeson is, that would be like which yeah, was whatever. me. But I didn't absolutely... have a clue who Paul Robeson was. <laughs> but that absolutely sent me. So yeah, that's my funniest moment: the Japanese meal. So good moment. And finally, George, we rate every episode out of ten scutters. So how many scutters out of ten? Would you give Hollow Shit? That's oh, a really rough one because I think it's it's got some really great classic Red Dwarf moments in it, but at the same time, mm. it's probably one of the weakest in terms of story and in terms of like consistent laughs. Um, mm. I'm gonna go for. Are we, we're written in scutters, are we? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> six scutters out of ten. I think I'm gonna give this Ooh, one. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's one of our... Uh, when was the last time we had a six, Phil? It's been a while. It's been a while. It's not our lowest score, though. Our lowest no, score not. is still body swap. Yeah. <laughs> All around. What? Really? Do you, know, oh, do you, do you like, like that body... Really? Yeah. I'm flawed with that. You're... Do you know what? You're the first... Because most of our guests, I think, have watched Red Dwarf at least once. And every time we've said to them, oh, body swaps are us, they go, oh, yeah, that one. But you're the first one who's maybe, seen quite maybe I Maybe I that. need to rewatch it. But I just think that's brilliant. <laughs> we, uh, that was another episode we had a guest on. We had uh, Billy Garrett John on for that oh, one. Oh, man. And, uh, did, yeah, yeah. He, 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 wasn't, he didn't he like did that one either. Like and neither did we. It's our lowest rated oh, episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, I suppose right after Polymorph, yeah. you, you know, you're going to struggle to keep the quality that, up, yeah, aren't you? Right after Polymorph, um, yeah. But yeah, okay, hey, that's fine. Six out of ten. Well, that's that's Phil. What about you? Are you are you hovering around there as well? No, I'm giving it a lot higher. In fact, I have gone for eight and a half out of ten. I actually Ooh, really right, liked this right. episode. Um, and it's not perfect. There are some moments where maybe it could have uh, cut some of the fat out a bit, but uh, yeah, overall, I liked. I liked the way they sort of set up this theme at the beginning and paid it off at the end. I liked a lot of the jokes on the hollow ship um, and that that scene, just the scene we've mentioned already with um, Don Warrington and, and Lister, that just, that was brilliant. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a lot I like about this episode. So, yeah, that's, it's high yeah, that's for me. Fair, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Um, I deliberated between a seven and an eight, but I will give it an eight because looking back, yeah, there were a lot of moments that made me laugh a lot. I, I really liked a lot of the hollow ship scenes as well. Uh, not all of it worked, but a lot of it did for me. Um, and even though I said the final, the last little bit didn't hundred percent work for me, I did like some. I did like the gist of it and what they were doing. And yeah, I thought it was a decent start, series five. I know you said George, maybe you didn't feel it was like the best series opener, but yeah, I, I don't know. I had I had a lot of fun with this yeah. one. So yeah, it's it's a. It's an eight from me. Oh, but yeah. I'm a depressing one this well. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that is uh, that Tollership, and that's another episode of Everybody's Dead Dave. George, mate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, 
before you go, uh, feel free if you want to do any uh, shout outs of your social media or any uh, or, or your work, anything uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm at GB Sheard on um, both Twitter and Instagram. I've got a podcast of my own called Spill Your Beans, um, which is also on Spotify and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and which you can find episodes with both Adam and myself. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Cheeky mention. Yeah. yeah. Go and check those out. Familiar ground for your audience. Go, easy, easy listen. Easy listen. Go and do it. Easy listen. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, yeah, I've got like a YouTube, George Sheard, and you know I do do stuff on Twitch as well every now and then. But yeah, that's that. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Phil. Where can the people of the internet find you? Oh well, you might be watching this on um, or listening to this through my YouTube channel already. But if you're not, it's just Philip Hawkins talking about all sorts of geeky pop culture. Things like uh, Doctor Who, predominantly, about 50% of my content is Doctor Who, but also things like the MCU um, and Star Trek and, uh, and very anything that pops up uh, that I kind of feel like, hey, I want to talk about that, and it's pop culture related. So find me there, or you can find me on Twitter, I-U-D-E-X underscore Phil. Awesome. And we also have a Twitter account for the podcast. Um, everybody's dead Dave was too long for the Twitter character limit thanks Twitter um, so it's all dead Dave pod type that in you'll find us give us a follow for updates on the show uh, if you want to check out my work just add a Martin with a Y with a Y not an I on YouTube I should pop up like Phil I make videos on Doctor Who as well as uh, different pop culture things things I'm interested in and Adam Martin AMTV on Twitter if you want to follow me there. But once again, George, mate, thank you so much. It's been great thank having you. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. And uh, to all you listening, we'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.